You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. John DeYard, and welcome to LifeSpa.com, where we prove the ancient medical wisdom of Ayurveda with modern science. In today's podcast, we have a special guest, the author of 28 Days, uh, what, uh, what Your Cycle Reveals About Moods, Health, and Your Potential, um, uh, Gabrielle Lichterman. And she's the founder of Hormonology, which is um, something that you're just going to absolutely love. She's the creator of the Hormone Horoscope app and female forecaster app and author of 28 Days. What that actually is, is she's done the research to find out what happens to the hormones in your menstrual cycle every single day of your month and then predicts, based on research, what would happen to your mood, to your energy, to your libido, to your shopping habits. All these things are mapped out in her book, 28 Days, that you should all read. You should get her app. I got downloaded the app, and you get the app, and every day of your cycle, I don't have one, but I went through a month of the cycles to see what would happen along the way, what she predicts, and it's just mind-bogglingly accurate and it's based on what you truly experience in your life, but also what the research says should in fact happen. So it's a really beautiful combination of what your experience is and the science is amazing. Um, in 2005, she pioneered the cycle sinking and hormone awareness movement that is now followed by women worldwide. She's a writer for many major health magazines. Um, super excited to have her on. I read her book, I love it. I think you're gonna love this discussion and you're gonna learn a lot about yourself and some of your habits based on your hormones and your cycle. Uh, Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Diard. This is a pleasure. Well, um, so the thing that I love about this, and I was just telling you a story a bit ago about my daughter. I was listening to one of your YouTubes this morning and, and, um, and it was all about like the shopping habits that happen throughout the month. And my daughter who's 16 going to school, starting school again tomorrow, and she's like in shopping mode and she's like listening to what she's what 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 did she say what because you were talking about all these different things you would shop right. stuff you would maybe shop and buy the wrong stuff at the wrong time that you want to turn you know return because it was just too much or whatever and all this is backed by science and i just thought it was such an amazing thing that you have here because many women know that their mood changes but they don't exactly know why they don't even exactly know when except they sort of know every before every cycle, I might get this right. or that. But to really be educated about the, the, the cycles of the hormones and to be educated based on what their own experiences is the best way to teach them. And my 16-year-old daughter was like all over watching your video and you deliver it. You know, she's got tons of YouTubes and she uses props and it's just great. She's, she's a delightful to watch. You gotta watch her YouTubes. You have to download her app, you have to read this book and you have to watch this podcast because it's gonna be great. So, um, so my first question to you is, you know, how, how was it um, possible for you to find the science for, to back up these different behavioral habits for every day of the 28-day cycle? Well, first I wanna um, thank you for your passion and enthusiasm. The, um, the energy that you have for learning about hormones is that that passion is very common among everybody, women and men, who first realize that, wow, you can predict your mood, your energy, and everything every day of your cycle. How is that possible? And um, everybody's mind seems to be blown by that. But it shouldn't be because it's our biology. And the reason that I know all this is because I'm a health journalist. I'm a women's health journalist. I have been for gosh, many, many years. I don't, want to, I don't want to admit how old I am, but it is much more than 20 years at this point. So um, back in 1999, while I was doing um, research for an article, um, well, let's just clarify that for people who don't remember 1999, this was really the beginning of the internet. There wasn't a lot of um, information at your fingertips like there is today. I mean, we were still all using AOL. That's how, <laughs> that's its infancy. You know, there was, I don't even think there was Google back then. It was really, um, it was very much in its infancy. So as a reporter, um, it, it took a little bit of digging, but um, 
there was this great study in 1999 that showed how hormones impact who you're attracted to in your cycle. And specifically, the, the study said that we're more attracted to uh, assertive, masculine-looking men during fertile times in our cycle and more feminine, softer-looking men during non-fertile times in our cycle. And I thought that was amazing because, again, you know, these, this was the first time we'd really heard that, well, our hormones impact us um, in, in another way other than our mood. And really all we knew about that was, you know, premenstrually, we might get a little grouchy. But as a woman's health journalist, I thought, you know what, if there's this one study, I bet there are a lot more like it that show us how our hormones impact us in ways we never expected. So I did a search. I went into the medical journals and I looked for them. And before long, I found dozens. And then I found hundreds. And then I found thousands of studies that had been done over decades decades. And none of this information was, was being passed down to us. And what the research showed was that the hormones, the ups and downs of hormones in a woman's cycle impact her mood, her energy, her sleep habits, her libido, how she shops, how she spends money every single day of her cycle, not just premenstrually, not just during the first couple of days of her period. They impact her in pretty much every way, every day of her cycle. And unbelievably, none of this was getting passed on to us. So as a woman's health journalist, I felt, okay, well, this is where I come in. I'm the bridge. I like to take this great research and uh, synthesize it in a way that people can use um, and deliver it in a way that they, it impacts their life right away. So that's why I wrote my book, 28 Days, developed Hormonology, which is uh, basically an educational outreach mission that teaches women and girls how hormones impact them every day. And so all of this, all of it is based on science. And it's, you know, I stand on the shoulders of these researchers who did this great research. They just didn't have a voice. They didn't have somebody to bring it to the people who could use it. You know, th there were some reports that said that, that um, you know, science that gets buried in these journals um, can sometimes take 20 to 25 years before they reach medical practice. And, you know, what you did um, was just kind of fast forward all that information out into one package. And I know when I first started doing videos and writing and sort of dialed down my practice a little bit and started, you know, writing and teaching more about ancient wisdom and modern science, I thought that I would have like one or two articles to write, you know, and I'd be done, like I didn't know anything more, you know, but then it, the, the just exactly the same thing happened to you. The more I dug, the more research there was, and it was, it was yes. and it hundreds and thousands, now we've got over 1,500 articles and all this stuff, and I just came I'm constantly blown away about how much incredible science is just sitting there in these journals yes. nobody knows about. So I try to just kind of, kind of, you know, excavate it out of these, 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 wherever they are, these archives, and bring it to people with this ancient wisdom, modern science thing. And, and I feel you've done the exact same thing in your own world. And I think it's so cool that you did that, that you dug in and you found that because nobody knows it's there. And so I think everybody's just like chomping at the bit to find, okay, what, what, what does this really mean? Now we have three basic hormones, right? Estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Maybe we start out by just giving us a little overview of what each of those do. And then maybe we can go week by week or something like that sure. and give people a guide. Does that sound like a good idea? Absolutely. So okay. estrogen, when we talk about hormonology and how the hormones impact a woman's moods and energy and everything throughout her cycle, we're talking about three reproductive hormones, and that's estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone. Estrogen is the main hormone in women, and it follows kind of an M pattern, an up and down, then up and down again pattern throughout her cycle. And this hormone is um, responsible for both giving and taking away <laughs> um, her mood, her, her uh, good sleep, her energy. It really depends on whether estrogen is rising or falling its effects on a woman. So following that M pattern, that up and down pattern in a woman's cycle is really important because knowing if estrogen is rising or if it's falling tells you everything you need to know about mood, sleep, appetite, a lot of things. So that's estrogen and progesterone. Progesterone is um, a hormone that's produced mainly by the corpus luteum. This is a, a bit of a substance that's left behind after the egg releases um, in the ovary. And so uh, because of that, 
progesterone is low during the first half of a woman's cycle, like really bottomed out during the first half of a woman's cycle, but at ovulation, it rises for about eight days, and then it falls again um, if pregnancy uh, has not happened. And so progesterone, that means progesterone dominates the second half of a woman's cycle. And that's important to know because progesterone is a hormone that is sedating. Um, it also uh, revs appetite and um, it makes you more cautious. It, it changes things dramatically. So knowing when progesterone is elevated is important for a woman. And testosterone, um, not a lot of people realize that uh, women have testosterone. We do create testosterone all cycle long with a slight increase at ovulation. Uh, as with men, testosterone increases our uh, desire to be competitive, our ambition, um, our risk-taking behavior, and our libido. And um, testosterone and estrogen kind of work together in tandem. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious, before we go into the week by week, I'm just sort of curious as you're talking, and I've been reading your book, I was thinking, um, you know, I, I wrote a few articles a while back uh, suggesting that we may have at one point been seasonal breeders um, before fire, before we screwed right. up the light-dark cycles. <laughs> you know, melatonin surges during the winter when it's dark, and it's very dramatically decreased in the summer when it's light. And melatonin has been shown to be a, a birth control agent, um, and, uh, but with light, it sort of screws that up. So it doesn't work. It's like 80% effective, which isn't quite good enough in the world of birth control. <laughs> Um, but that's because we have lights and we can't actually get a full on complete circadian cycle and traditional cultures did, did, you know, supposedly, uh, breed in the fall and have babies in the spring and that's so that having babies at the right time was really important for survival. Right. So I'm wondering, did you ever run across any studies that show that these, that these hormones change seasonally? I didn't come across any strong uh, research suggesting that, but it's interesting that you um, mentioned the melatonin because there is research that suggests um, that light exposure impacts the length of a woman's cycle. So if a woman has a abnormally long cycle, there was a study that said um, if you keep your light on very bright, um, it for some reason shortens it. Uh, so if you sleep with your light on, it, sh it shortens an abnormally long cycle. There was no follow-up research to that, so I, I can't even get into a lot of detail about it. Um, but there was another study that um, indicated uh, a certain gender, I can't remember if it was boys or girls, uh, were born, were more likely to be born during the full moon, and a certain gender was more likely to be born during the new moon. And um, really those, those studies suggest that melatonin has a role in reproductive behavior. Right. And it's so hard to really, really track that because none of us are actually living in circadian rhythm anymore yeah. because of lights. Right. Um, so it's really hard to, to, to go back in time in the 1800s when there, or even before fire even, which is when it was really like legit. Um, so anyway, I just thought I, did, I would ask you that question. But anyway, now let's dive into um, the cycle, like the first week and, and, and explain to folks you know, when that, when that starts, what is the first week? It's sure. first of their cycle, right? Yes. So, um, your, so woman's cycle is comprised of four phases. Um, I call them week one, week two, week, week, week three, and week four. And each of these four weeks has its own personality. So if you know which week you're in, you pretty much have a shortcut into knowing your energy, your mood, how well you'll be sleeping, what you'll be craving as far as food, et cetera. So week mm -hmm. one starts with the first day of your period and it'll last seven days. Um, during week one, um, your estrogen is bottomed out and it rises gradually. And this is kind of like an awakening time for women. Uh, this is a time when their energy, mood, um, desire to socialize, desire to travel, and just basically uh, get out into the world grows day by day. Now, they may start off um, not feeling that energy or mood boost um, that may be due to low estrogen or uh, period-related pain, but day by day, estrogen will be rising and improving mood, energy, etc., sleep quality. Now, following that is week two. 
Week two is the week leading up to and including ovulation. Uh, many women love their week two. When, once they learn about their week two, they circle week two in their calendar for everything from you know, intimacy with their partner to shopping uh, to going out with friends. And that's because during week two, estrogen is elevated and rising. So it's at a higher level and it's continuing to rise until it peaks. With all that estrogen rising, it boosts your mood even more. It, it makes you optimistic and confident. You have, uh, you're brimming with self-esteem. Um, you feel good about everything and you feel good about the world. You, you're even friendlier. You um, want to go out into the world and explore. You're much more social. Uh, things are just positive overall. You also have less pain. And this, you can see why women <laughs> enjoys week two. The libido, uh, your libido is um, peaking and um, everything just seems better. You're uh, willing to take more risks um, and obstacles seem easier to overcome. Now, if you like your week two, <laughs> definitely circle it on a calendar because what's coming up next is your week three and that's pretty much polar opposite of your week two and it doesn't make it bad it just makes it different so what happens is during your week three all that peaking estrogen is now falling so now you have lower estrogen and it's going down and as we discussed before Estrogen, it's important to know if it's rising or falling. So when it's rising, yay! When it's falling, mm, <laughs> it's a little, it can be a little bit of a challenge because it's taking down all that great energy and mood that it was bringing as it was rising. So during your week three, estrogen is falling, it starts out falling, and progesterone is now rising. And this combination um, makes you slower. It makes you more cautious. It makes you sedate. Um, it could make you sleepy. It's kind of like somebody slamming the brakes. So you go from week two, which was high energy and going fast, 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 to week three, boom. Um, like just, you know, just stopping in your, in your tracks. Almost many women say they've hit a wall. And it can feel like that, like sudden. It's very sudden. It's interesting how that works. Um, so your libido also um, bottoms out during this time due to elevated progesterone. So that's week three. And week four is your premenstrual phase, and that's the six days leading up to your period. During these days, estrogen and progesterone fall, and this can lead to some mood issues in some women um, or uh, enhanced pain. And it really depends on, um, you know, the woman and her lifestyle and her sensitivity to hormones. But um, it's a time when you're more cautious and pessimistic and um, your energy is on the low side. So those hmm. are the four, four phases. So, so one of the things that um, in Ayurvedic medicine that they talk a lot about um, is that during the actual menstrual cycle period, that first week, um, that the energy is called the one of the it's called the panavata, downward moving life force called the panavata that goes down supports reproduction should be left alone to kind of do that because you have another energy that goes up called pranavata, which is the energy that goes to your head to give you energy to go do things, and when you're in your cycle everything is sort of going down. And what you don't want to do is compete with that energy by being engaged in lots and lots of activities. It's sort of an introspective type of time of a woman's life. And when I used to host, when I first came back from India in 1986 and started hosting Ayurvedic doctors and traveling with them around the country, they were like, why do all the women in America have menstrual problems? Like, what's up with that? Like, they didn't get it. Like, that doesn't happen in India. And there, there are some like remote parts of India that are still very tribal and they have like, you know, little places, tents for women to go to menstruate and they have to be separated from the culture. It's weird and not good and chauvinistic and terrible, but, um, you know, it's based on this idea that women should, they call it the resting time where they would actually rest during that cycle. I don't think it was right to, you know, push them into it. Tent. Some in one little village I was at, there was this big, huge tent on stilts, it was like a thirty feet high, and it was way up. And I was like, "What is that?" And they said, "That's the menstrual hut." I go, "What?" <laughs> wow, that's amazing. That's where all women go when they menstruate. I'm sure they probably loved it. They sit around and play cards, but it was just weird <laughs> and wrong, and for all these reasons. So my question to you is: Is their take was that? by disrespecting the natural instinct to be introspective and rest during that period, we push the body into you know, compensate into uh, more stress that can over time compensate that by not respecting that cycle. 
It doesn't mean that there's a weakness in women during that period of time. I look at that as an opportunity for really pulling back the bow and really being introspective and being matriarchal and really, really tapping into the women's intuition. I want to talk about intuition as well, when that really kicks in. Um, and for women, and really understand that that's like how they pull back the bow and then they, they, they kind of fill up their tank and then they take that calm into their life, which we so desperately need because right. men are just like, like go shoot stuff, right? That's all they really <laughs> want to do. And, and, and because of the testosterone, right? So I just wonder, do you, is there any science to back up that ancient kind of concept that we should take a little break or be more introspective during that time? Yes. There is. (laughs) Um, I'm glad you brought that up because it is a good point to make. Um, What's happening during uh, the first few days of your period is estrogen is at its lowest point. And the reason for that is because when estrogen bottoms out, it's basically signaling to the body to um, start shedding the uterine lining. So it has to be really low. So now during the first few days of your period, you have a very, very low level of estrogen. Basically, your gas tank is empty. Right. But on top of that, you're shedding iron as you bleed. Right. So when that happens, you don't have to um, reach a level where you're clinically anemic to, have, um, to feel the effects of iron loss. And what happens when you lose iron as you bleed, as you know, is you experience fatigue. You have sleep issues. You um, can have anxiety. You can have the blues or depression. And that's because iron is essential for, um, it's, for hel- it's essential for helping to balance serotonin in the brain. And it's essential for bringing oxygen throughout the body. So when iron is low, our energy is low, our mood is low. So now couple that with low, you know, low estrogen, you know, low gas in our tank. And yes, there is a time when women, you know, many women will want to um, f- just uh, cocoon and stay in their own, you know, right. uh, nearby menstrual hut, whatever that is, and be introspective and rebuild their resources. So I can see where the idea of a menstrual hut came to be. And then you've got on top of this, women who experience pain during menstruation, if they do, um, that's also something that's going to drag down their mood and, and energy as well. And they need that time to rejuvenate. So this is really fascinating. I think you touched on an epidemic that is unsung in America and around the world. The number one deficiency on the planet is an iron deficiency. And there's a source of iron. People get their blood tests, their annual blood, and they look at the iron, and it's usually, for most people, pretty good. But the storage form of iron is called ferritin. And very few people ever get their ferritin tested. But it's an epidemic of depletion in women, particularly young women, like who are more athletic and right. menstruating. Um, and because you're losing iron every single month, you, you start dipping into your reserve iron store. So ferritin can be lower and lower. And that number should be over 80 nanograms per milliliter when you get that tested. So if you feel like you're saying that low, tired, you know, lethargic, even a little bit moody or depressed during that time, that could be you're taking that low iron you have and you're dipping into your reserves even more. And now you feel even more depleted. So Ayurveda would say, hey, because you're at the low tank, your, your gas tank of estrogen is empty, because you just lost some iron, this is a time that we're telling you to rest. And if you go in and push and run a marathon and do all these kinds of things, you're going you're gonna to pay a price. You're going to dip into that ferritin reserve store and over time become significantly depleted. So this is a time to rebuild that. I worked with uh, Martina Navratilova. She did the forward to one of my first books years ago. And she said, John, I'm playing Wimbledon or some Grand Slam tournament, you know, tennis, if you don't know who she was, she's like ridiculously like the most amazing tennis player of all time. But a lot of kids, 20, I don't even know who she is. She's like <laughs> one of the my favorite people on the planet. Yeah. And she said, if I was having my menstrual cycle during the tournament, it just wasn't going to be like, you know, I wasn't going to kill it, you know, and, and a lot of times she just knew it was just not going to be her best tennis. And, you know, and, but when she was, you know, at the right time of her cycle, she was just like on it and it was just un, un, unbeatable. So I just think it's important for women to know that they should definitely, next time you get your blood test, get your ferritin levels checked because the iron test isn't good enough. And then you have to think about, you know, really looking at iron replacement, which I said is number one deficiency on the planet. 
and right. most people don't know about it. And what you brought up in your book, which I thought was really cool, was the iron deficiency piece, which most people don't talk about in this regard as we reference to your mood and your energy and, and, and things like that. So um, you got a beautiful understanding how the ancient wisdom of like, hey, take it easy now because we haven't put, put the gas back in the tank yet and your iron reserves are low, so we need to replenish that. And that would explain why that. And if you then push against that, and like a lot of people say, oh, your energy is low and you have PMS, so you should go exercise. And that was, you've probably heard that, right? That's the cure, right? So all the energy is going down to support reproduction and, and, and that's taking the energy from here to go down so it makes you feel a little tired because right. you're already like borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. And then you say, oh, to make myself feel better because all this energy that should be here went down to support reproduction and you're tired. So I'm gonna now put the gas pedal on even harder, force my body into an emergency situation where I have to borrow from Peter from, to pay Paul even more to take my reproductive energy, bring it up here to make me feel better, which it will make you feel better. But now you just put your reproductive energy reserve into further debt, your iron reserves into the, right. what that really means is your iron reserves your ferritin into further debt and depletion. And that can cause the exact same symptoms of anemia that can last the entire month and set you up for real problems down the road. So that is such a cool understanding for folks to really understand that part of the cycle and how important it is that there may be a deficiency that's making this you know, water a little rougher than it needs to be. I'd like to add one thing, um, is that if women have a migraine at the end of their period, not the first three days, but toward the end or shortly after your period ends, after bleeding ends, if you get a migraine then, that is a sign that your iron is going too low uh, during your period. Uh, new research shows that low iron leads to end menstrual migraines. So um, that's a good sign to look for, to uh, confirm. So in Ayurvedic medicine, a migraine is a vasodilation detoxifying headache, right? And, and there are newly discovered lymphatics in the brain that detoxify three pounds of chemicals and plaque out of your head every year while you sleep at night. And when you're at the low level of iron, you're also not delivering the oxygen in, in your blood. So your circulation is therefore compromised. So then these brain lymphs are just not going to have the oxygen detoxifying potential that they should have. So the brain just creates an internal vasodilation pressure headache to push everything out through your, literally through these little holes in your head called the mystery veins that release pressure and toxins out of your head. There's interesting science behind that. So I think that's so fascinating because it's again proving that when you really reach it, because when right at the end of your bleeding time would be the lowest of the low of your iron levels. Right. And estrogen hasn't really kicked in yet. So you have like, you know, not a whole lot in your tank, right? <laughs> so, and, but you have all these toxins to move waste out, right. but you haven't had the energy to do it. So you create a, a pressure related headache. Right. That's, your body tells you. Yeah. Right. So it's so neat. To, that's why I love what you do because you're, putting the, the logic and the explanation to what people are experiencing, but nobody's put it together like you have. So it's just brilliant. Thank you. Okay. So where are we? Are we ready for week two or are we still in week one? <laughs> we went through all the weeks. <laughs> no, no, we have to go through, we have to, we just did week one, but I want you to, but I think we need to go deeper. I need to. Uh, oh, deeper. I, sure. Yeah. We need to talk about like, you know, how people really feel. Oh yeah. Let's talk about, like their brain function in week one. Let's talk about their mood in week one, their shopping habits in week sure. one. Sure. And their bowel movements in week one you talked about in your book. Yes. Um, your libido, right? Everyone wants to talk about that. Your sleep habits. So yes. Maybe yeah. Maybe you just a little bit. Great. Well, let's do it. <laughs> that would be great. So um, week one. So it starts with your, the first day of your period, last seven days. And estrogen, as we said, starts off low and it rises slowly. Now, week one is really a two-parter because it is seven days long. The, as we just discussed, the first you know, few days while you're, you know, maybe four or five days while you're bleeding and losing that iron, it's a, it's a day, it's, it, these are days when you're, you know, um, um, your energy is low and your mood can be limited. It, your estrogen is rising day by day, but you, depending on your sensitivity to rising estrogen, you may feel that mood boost and that energy boost within a couple of days or within three or four days. You will feel it, so just hold on. So as estrogen rises throughout your week one, you'll notice that 
your libido increases, um, your desire to explore increases. And this is why I say your week one is a two-parter because you're going to be in your day one and think, well, I don't want to go outside. But by the time you get to your day seven, you're going to think, you know, what events are there that I can attend like right now? I want to meet people. I want to go out there into the world. So it's really um, a transitional week where you're going from low to really a, a mid-level mid um, of your mood. You're feeling more optimistic. You're feeling more confident. Um, you feel more social. And this is also a time during your week one when, as you talked about bowel movements, um, when you're, you're, your body is getting rid of all this excess waste, it no longer is holding on to it, no longer needs. Um, rising estrogen is a, has a slight diuretic effect, so you're um, emptying your bladder more frequently and more easily. You're shedding that excess fluid that you held on to during the second half of your cycle. Uh, during your period, you may have loose stool or diarrhea. This is due to um, researchers believe prostaglandins. Prostaglandins are hormone-like chemicals that um, push menstrual fluid out, and the researchers believe that these prostaglandins also push solid waste out, so it may be that you're getting such a push <laughs> that it turns into loose stool or diarrhea. It's fine. You're basically just getting rid of all that excess waste your body held on to in the second half of your cycle. I personally like that feeling of being cleaned out when my body just naturally cleans itself out. Um, so your week one is a, is a time of transition. It's a time of really you're, you're getting ready for um, the excitement to come, the social aspect, um, relationships, because you're, you're, you're in, as your estrogen increases, you rise with it. You come out with it. So week two um, is a time when estrogen is high, it's already elevated, and it keeps rising, and it's climbing toward its peak. And when this happens, your memory is sharper, your verbal abilities are sharper, you're thinking faster, so your brain is getting a real buzz. This is a time, your week two, the week leading up to and including ovulation, is a time when you should be scheduling, when you can, um, Events that help you shine, help you show off, uh, job interviews, auditions, podcasts, um, anything where you can show off your, your mental abilities because um, all that rising estrogen, all that spiking estrogen is really, it's, it's sending a surge of um, energizing blood to the brain and it's churning out uh, an abundance of brain chemicals that just make you think faster on your feet and uh, you, you pitch your boss, ask for a raise. And that's another thing, your confidence peaks during your week too, your self-esteem and confidence. So, um, and your desire to take risks also peaks during your week too, in part also because of rising testosterone, which occurs during your week too. So now you've got all these, these surging hormones pushing you to do, 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 and you should because you are at your very best during your week too. You're also more prone to spending a lot. Week two is a, is a, um, is a, is a very outward energy. You're going out into the world socially, you're spending more, you're, um, you're, you're talking a lot more, you're, you're, you tend to be much more verbal. Uh, if somebody asks you a question, you're probably going to go on and on and on long after they wish you did, <laughs> would have stopped. Um, but um, you have a lot to say and your, your brain is thinking, your brain is um, it's just moving faster. Week two is also the best time to schedule intimacy with your partner. Your libido is peaking during this phase thanks to spiking estrogen and spiking testosterone. In addition to that, orgasms are easier to reach and much more intense. This is a time um, when you should throw out the calendar when it says, okay, you know, we'll schedule uh, intimate dates with my partner on the weekend and instead say, you know, week two, every day, week two, I'll cancel, you know, my appointments and, you know, let's have a date with um, my partner or this would be a time when you would schedule a romantic getaway with your partner or your honeymoon with your partner um, because you do have these natural feelings due to hormones. Um, this is, you know, a lot of women enjoy this time. This is a time when they feel great about themselves and their energy is spiking. But I have to say, some women don't enjoy this phase as much. They're weak to as much. And that's because they have anxiety sensitivity. If you have um, anxiety issues, this spiking estrogen can exacerbate that. And so that's mm -hmm. something to be aware of. If you have 
that that issue. Um, if you do, then you know this is a time in your cycle when you need to plan for that and do the self-care that you need to counter that anxiety, that this is when you have to be really on top of that. And mm -hmm. so week three... Wait. Oops, go ahead. Let's not do week three. Let's talk about okay. more about week two. Okay. What I think is fascinating is that when you really look at these hormones, it's really all about making sure that the species survives. Yes. Right? It is. Women, they do have a one-track mind, the hormones. Right? Everything. Everything. Every effect they have on us is really just for that. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievably. Right. So when estrogen is spiking and testosterone is spiking, and it's like, I think you mentioned, I heard you say once where you're like, you know, putting your stuff out there trying to be the, the, the prettiest and most, uh, yes. you know, the, the one that the men would pick or choose or whatever, because you want to get pregnant and make sure that this body, you know, you know, keeps the species going. And that's that underlying hormonal drive, probably driven by underlying microbes. That's another story. But um, so, so what's sort of interesting about that is that, well, number one is that, that the women's cycle is just so much about this kind of reproductive species urge that's there. Um, but there's also this thing called intuition. And I read a study that showed that when estrogen starts to surge, women are way more intuitive. And it would make sense that like around ovulation, a woman would really need to know like if there's danger or, would, or just to know like intuitively how to protect, you know, um, and of course, higher estrogen would would uh, would provide that awareness, I guess, at some deep level. So I wondered if, if that's the time, that, and, and you said well, too much estrogen would make you then maybe too aware, and too much awareness is basically anxiety, right? You're like super right. aware, and that's just too much to handle, and that could explain that piece. You're getting this hypersensitivity, call it higher awareness, which is intuition, um, that's taking place and you have all this energy, you know, so it's like, ah, way, way too yes. much. But is that something that you've seen like the, the, intu the intuition part? Because I really do believe that, 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 you know, women have these cycles of these M like cycles, you said ebbs and flows, but there's something special about a woman's physiology that taps into that deep inner um, intuition, that, that feeling based versus just pure testosterone, which is not that that really provides a level of compassion and understanding and leadership from, I think, the right place. And I think, surely hope that we have a woman president uh, soon. But I really Here. believe that, that we, need, we, we really need that kind of leadership because what kind we have now is, is a little bit uh, testosterone-based, right? Competitive-based. Yeah. Based. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> Up until right. now, it's been all male. So yeah, very much testosterone-based. Yeah. Yeah. So, Except for so Jimmy Carter. Talk about intuition. Like how, do, how does that tie into all, all this? Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring up intuition. Um, there are actually two points in a woman's cycle when her intuition peak and for different reasons. That's another interesting thing about your cycle. You can schedule so much because you know what's going to happen ahead of time. And one of these um, things that you can kind of plan for is when you're going to be more intuitive. Um, and it's so interesting because the reasons you're more intuitive are peaking estrogen and falling estrogen. So during oh, your week two, when your estrogen is peaking, you're much more hyper aware. As you said, right. your brain is working faster. You're picking up more. And as you wisely pointed out, this is a time when we're competing with other uh, potential women, potential partners for, or uh, potential um, you know, rivals for partners, for romantic partners. Whether right. we are or not, our body doesn't care. It, it acts as if we are in competition with other women for you know, potential uh, romantic partners. So um, it makes us more aware of people's gestures. We, our uh, research shows that we're more aware and can perceive, can read other people's um, micro expressions on their face. We can read their body language. We're more accurate. During our week two, we're more accurate at reading these um, messages people are silently sending out. And so wow. it makes us, and it's all due to rising estrogen. And it's because we're trying to 
edge out our rivals. And it's also because we're trying, they believe, the researchers theorize that we're, we become better at um, understanding what people are thinking by looking at them, by reading their micro expressions and their body language. Um, the researchers believe that's because we are trying to create more bonds with people. We're trying to, um, we're, we're more social during this time, again, to find a partner. And by understanding what people are thinking, by reading their thoughts, basically, based on how they look, by, on their expressions, it's easier for us to find a partner, to create these social bonds. So that's interesting. So our intuition is higher during our week two because of that high estrogen. But it comes back again during our week four, the premenstrual phase. And that's because plunging estrogen puts us more in touch with our deeper emotions. So we're much more introspective. We're much more analytical. And we're analyzing other people's motives and um, feelings and what they've said. And so we're synthesizing all that information that we take during that more emotionally aware time. So in, during the week two, peaking estrogen makes us it makes intuition spike. And then during week four, it spikes again because we're picking up different types of signals that give us more messages. But that would continue into week one too because your estrogen is low there too or, or, or not? Well, um, as I said, when estrogen rises and when it falls, it has different effects. So right. as estrogen falls, it um, creates changes in the brain, notably the serotonin, um, that... Uh, change your mood and change, they alter um, how you feel, how, how sensitive you are emotionally. But as soon as estrogen rises, it has a totally different effect because it's spurring more serotonin. Right. So that's why it's so important to know where you are in that M line with estrogen. Is it going up or is it going down? And a lot even of researchers, yeah, even a little because the uh, cure for premenstrual issues is rising estrogen. It's kind of like when right. you, um, it's kind of like when you quit caffeine. You stop drinking coffee, you start getting headaches, you start getting moody, really irritable. <laughs> I've done this. I know what it's like. <laughs> and as soon as you start drinking caffeine again, just a few minutes after taking a few sips, it's all gone because you're no longer in that withdrawal-like state. So during your um, week four, when estrogen is dropping you're in a withdrawal-like state and it's triggering certain effects in the brain. But as soon as you get a little bit of estrogen rising again, you're giving that brain the caffeine, the hormone equivalent of caffeine that needs, the estrogen, and um, it's no longer in a withdrawal-like state. So it has a different effect. You're now producing the serotonin that you were, now, that you were previously uh, lacking. Right. But you could make the case that when that estrogen falls and it's dropping you feel that kind of introverted kind of a state but when you actually yeah. hit rock bottom in week one before serotonin starts to really oh yes that serotonin is going to give you some brain activity which was desperately needed at that point in time which could create um you know a level because you have that low yes estrogen. absolutely the first day or two absolutely brain's working maybe you have a little bit more in, you know intuition or insight you know which was the tradition of you know, going into that period of pulling back the bow and, and then coming out with, you know, insights. Well, you have to remember power. that with low iron comes low serotonin. So if you're not getting that iron, you're not getting that serotonin boost. Yeah. And that's the problem is, as you said, low iron is so prevalent that even with rising estrogen, if, you, if the iron isn't continually replenished and you're keeping your stores up, Right. Um, you're not getting that serotonin boost. So you are still in that emotionally sensitive, emotionally aware state that would give you more, um, you know, uh, insight, more intuition. Yeah. So, wow, so beautiful. Um, so week three, what's the details of that? What happens? Okay. Like, this is not happy time, right? <laughs> well, I don't want to say that because I don't want to play favorites. I want to, um, you know, every week has a different personality and we can appreciate each week for its, um, you know, for, for itself. You wouldn't, you know, say um, like a, a, a boisterous, you know, loudmouth friend over a quiet friend. They're just different. Right. So <laughs> I try to make friends with all my weeks. I, so, I get it. It's all good. 
Yeah. You it know, a lot of women, good. it is all good. It's all, every, I mean, it's, that's so neat because each part of the cycle provides, you know, strengths and talents that weren't there a week before yes. and insights that weren't there. And it gives this incredible, like, you know, kind of rainbow effect of life, which is so different than what men have. One hormone, like crashing, <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's so beautiful to have that, that perspective. And each week, if you can tie into yes. what's really trying to happen and, and take, take like a buffet, take the good, leave the bad and move on, yeah. you, you, can, you can learn a lot. I think I'm learning a lot about, about this. It's great. So uh, week three. Well, with daughters, I'm hoping this really um, helps you as a, um, <laughs> you know, to understand <laughs> what's going on. Week three is interesting. You know, you, um, you said something interesting about take the good, take the bad. One of the great benefits of your week three, once you get into it, is um, you concentrate more easily. Now, during your week two, when estrogen was high and rising and it was boosting your brain and making you think faster, um, that was great. But during your week three, circle that week on your menstrual cycle calendar. If you have a project that requires a lot of detail work, like um, editing a manuscript or doing uh, spreadsheets, because or coding a website or app thanks to rising progesterone um, it's mellowing out your brain so researchers say this helps prolong your ability to focus um, without distraction so that's a great strength to look forward to in your week three it's a great thing to schedule um, to use to schedule work and school uh, so week three also um, is a time when you are more sedate generally Progesterone uh, dominates this phase, and it's a sedating hormone. It's, um, it makes you tired. It slows you down. It also makes you more cautious. So you are less likely to take risks like you were in your week two. Um, this means that you, know, you may be driving a little bit more slowly, or you may be you know, worry about uh, submitting a resume to a job that you may not be a perfect fit for. So your, your, your decisions are much more cautious. Uh, this is, you know, speaking bathroom wise, there's a dramatic shift between the first half of your cycle and the second half of your cycle. Uh, during the second half of your cycle, this elevated progesterone is slowing down the movement in your digestive tract. As a result, you may notice that you have, um, it's, it's harder to pass stool, you may have harder stool, um, you may have constipation, and um, you're also uh, retaining fluid. So you may feel a little bit puffier or heavier. Now, this isn't a time when you should be cutting back on fluid. This is a time when you should continue drinking fluid because it will help with both fluid retention and uh, passing stool easier. Um, Libido-wise, this is not good news, <laughs> but it's great for partners to know. During your week three, your um, plunging estrogen and elevated progesterone pretty much put the complete kibosh on your libido. Um, you have far fewer um, pangs, um, you know, does a far lower desire uh, for intimacy. But, you know, it's not like you don't have any. So when you, do, when you are intimate, um, you know, because you do get that occasional pang, there's something else you should know this hormone combination can make it difficult to orgasm. And, uh, that, and if you try really hard and you go for it, you may notice it's, they're duller than the ones you experienced in your week two. Okay, well, the good news is that elevated progesterone um, makes you love hand-holding and cuddles. Um, right. So all intimacy isn't off the table. You actually feel closer. You feel a, a closer emotional connection to your partner during your week three, thanks to progesterone. So this is a time to connect on a deeper level. Um, your mood, it depends on your sensitivity to progesterone, but it's pretty much, um, you know, you're, you're mellower and more introspective, and you're definitely quieter compared to your week two. This is a time when you're, you're, you're coming inward to yourself. You're becoming much more introspective. Hmm. Wow. It makes me think that that's the time where, you know, men could probably really listen to this podcast because in terms of, you know, where their partner is in their cycle would determine about really how receptive they are to, you know, to lovemaking and all of that. And, you know, during week three, it'd be a great time. There's these things that are 
I don't know if they're still popular, but they were for a while here in Boulder, like called cuddle clubs where people, strangers would come in and they would just like cuddle and they weren't allowed to, it would be strangers, but they were like a proctor and they would watch and people would just like hold and rub somebody's feet or just touch it, but no like sex, you know, any kind of sensuous right. touching, just sort of like rubbing and massaging and just touching people. And it was like just cuddling and it kind of fed people on that level. And it seems like that's like a week three kind of thing. Yeah. Let's just cuddle and give your partner a massage and rub them and nurture them because they're in that place, you know, um, w would be just sort of cool information because it, it, it seems like the, these hormones are, are real, you know, and, and, and there, there's behavior that go with them. And so for everybody to understand those behaviors makes, you know, you yes. know, the partner, male partner, understand the female partner better and understand what they really want. And then, and then, well, I feel really bad for men, for male partners, Women in their week two, their libido is the highest it will be all cycle long. Orgasms are easy to achieve and they are brilliant. They're great. They're so intense thanks to the peaking estrogen. And then all of a sudden, boom, the libido oh. goes away and there's just no interest. So I, I feel bad for men who, who up until this point before you know, we started sharing this information like this, didn't understand why their partner was chasing them around the bed one day and then, you know, wasn't interested the next. Right, and it's it would confusing. make it, it take it personal that way. Yes. She doesn't like me. And now she's like, one minute she wants me and then she doesn't and I don't get it. And I'm like, but yes. like, it makes sense, right? And I think that's how yes. it is so valuable yes. to, for everybody involved. It's so beautiful. Yes, yeah, yes. absolutely. Okay, so week four. Okay. Week four is the premenstrual phase and it really gets a bum rap, but it, it doesn't have to. Um, you know, I think the problem is that for, I guess, centuries, people have made jokes about our premenstrual phase. Oh, yeah. she's about to get her period. And, you know, you could see it on every television show and movie. It's, it's horrible. Whenever you, in fact, whenever you hear anything about a premenstrual phase, it's usually just negative. Well, I'm here to tell you that there are some positives to look forward to in your premenstrual phase. Um, first of all, because progesterone is now dropping, during your premenstrual phase, the six days leading up to your period, um, your progesterone drops and your estrogen drops. Because your progesterone is dropping, you actually get a little bit of a lift in energy. And that's because progesterone, as we stated, is a sedating hormone. It's, um, it, it's subduing, it has a subduing effect. It's a tiring effect, makes you tired. <laughs> um, and so when there's less of it, as it drops further and further in your premenstrual phase, you actually have a resurgence of some energy. No, it's not like your week two energy where you're doing cartwheels, but um, without that heavy fog, you feel like you can be a little bit more active. Mm. Um, this is also a time when um, we discussed before that you're more in touch with your emotions because of plunging estrogen. And this makes it an ideal time to channel your um, deeper emotions into art, whether it's joy or sadness, um, or excitement or sorrow, whatever, you know, whatever you're feeling, it comes through more clearly. You're more introspective during this time. Um, you're thinking more about your your, your, what makes you happy, what makes you sad, what your needs are. And that's important too, because during this phase, <laughs> during the, I'm laughing because I know what I'm about to say. <laughs> during this phase, you have less patience due to plunging estrogen. You're just less patient with people. And that is actually a good thing because couple that with being introspective and thinking about what your needs are, your premenstrual phase is setting you up to build the boundaries you need to make your life happier. Say, for instance, your roommate is always late with her rent and, um, you know, or somebody at work is always asking you to do their work for them and you've let them do it. During your premenstrual phase, you have less patience with things that, um, with, with people who are irritating you and you're more in touch with what your needs are. So this is a, a great time to voice what your needs are. So I think the premenstrual phase can be a very powerful time. During your premenstrual phase, your libido also returns. And that's not due to hormones. Um, it's because uh, researchers believe it's as the uterine lining builds up, there's a bit of congestion and that's activating nerves down below. So um, 
the good news is intimacy during this time alone or with a partner uh, boosts your mood. So if you're having any premenstrual mood issues due to plunging estrogen, um, physical intimacy can give you that uh, mood boost. Um, so I think it's a great time. I think it's a powerful time. I think it's a creative time for women. Okay. So shopping. Is that a good time to shop? Bad time to shop? Are we, are we uh, going to Target or, or going to... <laughs> Where are we going? Well, during your premenstrual phase, you're cautious about money. You're, during the whole second half of your cycle, you're definitely more cautious about spending because you're worried that you don't have enough in the bank to cover your expenses, or you're worried about bills that are going to come, maybe college tuition or um, you know, insurance. So you, you want to spend less. You tend to spend less. But at the same time, you also want to use, you, you want, during your premenstrual phase anyway, you want to treat yourself with things that boost your mood. So you may um, end up getting small uh, items that boost your mood. I would not recommend this being a time that you go clothes shopping because plunging estrogen is, um, has the potential to bring down your self-confidence and self-esteem. And any woman who has stared at themselves in a mirror in a department store all those bright lights and I don't know I think they put funhouse mirrors in those in those changing rooms <laughs> um, it is not a great time because um, you won't feel confident um, like you would in your week too now if you need to go clothes shopping great um, you can still do it but focus on your comfort instead of how you're going to look um, because your comfort is really uh, key at this point but, um, but in week two, at the end of week two at ovulation, when you have the rising estrogen and the testosterone, you run the risk of buying something a little bit crazy, right? Like Yes, that's right. The ideal time to shop for women in their cycle is pretty much day four or five, a few days after their period starts, through a few days before ovulation. Um, during that time, rising estrogen makes you confident. It gives you lots of energy. It makes spending feel fun. Right. But if you wait till you get to the days of ovulation, like, you know, the day before ovulation or during ovulation, which somewhere in the middle of your cycle, you run the risk of completely blowing your budget. <laughs> um, research shows that this is the time when uh, spiking estrogen and testosterone make you uh, much more risky. You, you, you spend a lot more than you really should. Uh, that's because your optimism is super high. You're convinced you'll be able to, to pay that uh, you know, bill somehow. You're much more likely to take risks, especially with money during this um, phase of your cycle. And because of that, any price tag looks good. On, a, on top of all that, um, as we discussed before, you're shopping as a way to outdo potential rivals. And so you're gravitating toward um, high-priced uh, luxury goods, the researchers say, because this is a way to look better than your romantic rivals. So you're buying like um, limited edition items, uh, name brand items, things that are really out of your budget. And I have to admit, I've done this, I've made this mistake myself. I admit it. And it just, as you're doing it, you don't even care because it's almost like a drug. Um, it, yeah. in, because of spiking estrogen, you're getting um, a spurt of reward, rewarding feelings in the brain from dopamine because um, spiking estrogen helps the brain turn out more of that. And as a result, all you feel is like, hey, great, I've got a new Fendi. Yay, who cares how I'm going to, I'm going to pay for it? So it's a kind of dangerous time to shop. If you're going to shop during that time, take cash, leave the credit cards at home, and definitely stick to a budget. Yeah, take your debit card, not your credit card, right? <laughs> wow, fascinating stuff, Gabrielle. So um, just in closing, any, um, anything else you want to tell us about the cycle of 28 days and that we missed that are important for, for folks to know? Well, I think that, um, that if you have teenage girls in your life, children, friends, nieces, students, patients, clients, it's important to let them know about the basics of um, hormones. Let them know that um, their mood is going to go up and down in a predictable pattern during their cycle. Um, 
because um, young girls, it's all so new to them. And if they have even just the basics about their mood, energy, sleep, appetite, um, it, it goes a long way toward helping them understand themselves and they can avoid a lot of uh, distress that can come from confusion. Absolutely, absolutely. So once again, tell us um, your website, um, tell us how to get your app, tell a little bit more about how to get in touch with you and follow you. Sure. Well, if you want to know more about how your hormones impact your moods, health, and behavior, please visit my website at myhormonology.com. My apps um, are the Hormone Horoscope apps. Um, I have a suite of them. So I have Hormone Horoscope apps for adults and for teens. Um, I have free versions. So um, you can download those from the App Store and Google Play. And I have pro versions, which give you a little bit more detail about um, your hormones. And these apps give you a daily summary of how your hormones impact you every day. There are menstrual cycle trackers that give you a hormone horoscope every day. It's really helpful. And then I have the Female Forecaster app, also available at the App Store and Google Play. And the Female Forecaster app is for men. I wrote it specifically for male partners of cycling women, for boyfriends and husbands, so that they can know what their um, girlfriend or wife will be like, what, they'll, what their mood will be like, what their energy will be like, what your libido will be like. There's no more surprises. Um, we discussed how important that is. And then, of course, my book, 28 Days, What Your Cycle Reveals About Your Moods, Health, and Potential, is available at Amazon.com. Well, that's fantastic. I hope everybody takes advantage of that information. Gabrielle, thank you so much. This has been great, super informative. I think everybody's going to love this. And thanks for taking the time and doing all this incredible work. Really appreciate it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Diar. This has been a pleasure.